Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. Picking up where we left off, the Lord Jesus had stayed with the people of Samaria for two days. But once again, it was time to move on. John chapter 4, starting with verse 43. Now after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Not too long ago, down in Fort Worth, Texas, it was a typical Saturday morning. A Baptist pastor was outside working on his normal Saturday morning chores. The phone rang. So this man put down his garden tools. He wiped the sweat from his face and rushed into the house to grab the phone before the final ring. But he didn't notice that the sliding glass patio door was still closed. Their home had one of the older sliding doors that was put in before safety glass became the standard. His wife heard the noise and found him in a pool of blood, with glass laying all around him. As quick as she could, she called 911, but the dispatcher could not send any help, because this couple lived on the wrong side of some bureaucratic line. The dispatcher told her she would have to call a different number. Afraid that there wasn't enough time to make another phone call, she managed to get her husband into the front seat of the car to take him to the hospital herself. Traffic in downtown Fort Worth was heavy. Blood was pouring out onto the floorboard of the car. It was one of those moments where time seemed to slow down. This man, he was bleeding to death. His wife was desperate. She felt helpless. Traffic was at a standstill. She saw the looks of the people in the other cars as they saw this man bleeding to death in her front seat. She honked a horn, but no one pulled over to let her by. No one offered to help. And at that moment, she would have done anything to get her husband the help that he needed. It was surreal. The strong man who had always provided for her and always protected her was wilting away before her very eyes. He needed help, 
she had to get him to the hospital. I can only imagine her relief as she turned into the pull-up at the emergency room of the hospital. He was quickly put onto a gurney and wheeled into the hospital. His face was pretty beat up. And the glass had cut a major blood vessel in his leg. Once they stabilized him, the doctors felt confident that he would live, but they weren't sure if they could save his leg. When he was finally let go from the hospital, he was confined to a wheelchair. Doctors didn't give him much hope that he would ever be able to use his leg again. But this pastor was absolutely determined to keep serving the Lord. And each week, men from the church would help him to get up front so that he could preach his sermon. But one Sunday, as this body of believers was worshiping the Lord, he just honestly forgot about his leg. He stood up and he walked to the pulpit and began preaching. The congregation gasped. Everyone just stopped for a second. They could not believe what they were witnessing because God had healed him, and he never used a wheelchair again. But here is where it gets really good. Here is what I love so much about this story. You see, this pastor doesn't talk about his healing all that much. He acknowledges the fact that God performed a miracle in his life, that God saved his leg and healed his body. But he prefers to talk of a greater miracle, the day that God saved his soul and made him a new creation in Christ. This is the direction our text takes us in John 4. Too often, the focus is only on the healing of the nobleman's son, with little focus on the greater miracle of salvation when this entire family came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. The nobleman in our text was desperate, desperate enough to travel roughly 20 miles depending on the route that he took from Capernaum to Cana to ask for help. And on the way there, he had been traveling uphill. That makes a difference. But 20 miles was not the only distance that this official had to cross. The journey itself was easy compared to the social distance that he had to travel. He was a man with social standing under King Herod. He was somebody, somebody important. He traveled in the upper social circles of life. But now, this government official needed to lower himself to seek help from Jesus, a man who was considered to be just a common Jew. I think it was his last hope because it is doubtful that a man like him would have humiliated himself like this. But desperation can set in. His son was sick. His son was dying. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in the position of knowing that you have done everything you can, but you still? feel hopeless. The loss of a loved one, a family member in a car accident, or maybe it was standing by feeling helpless as you watch your children making bad choices that are ruining their lives. It's not a good feeling when you have nowhere to turn and there's nothing that you can do on your own to fix the problem, to fix the mess in your life. Take a look at our first three verses. Now after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. Keep in mind the overall story. Verse 3 had taught us that the Lord had left Judea. He was making his way back to Galilee. 
Verse 43 is telling us that after two days he departed Samaria, returning again to Galilee. Most of us know this statement in verse 44, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. We see this statement quite a bit in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all referring to Nazareth in Galilee as his hometown. And we also know that the statement, a prophet has no honor in his own country, that was a common saying. But how did the Lord mean it here in John 4? That's the issue. Now it's subtle, but there's a contrast that John is putting forth. Back up to verse 41. Many of the Samaritans believed. Many of the Samaritans came to faith in him. Why? It says because of his own word. Then look again at verse 42. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Go back further in the text, back up to chapter 2. At the time Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Passover, notice verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, when they saw the signs which he did. The Jews in Judea, the Jews in Jerusalem, they looked to his signs. The Samaritans, they didn't need a sign. They listened to the words of Christ. Skip back down, pick up verse 45 again in chapter 4. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. Now let's stop here for a moment. Received him. Translate it this way. When he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Some translations put it this way. The Galileans welcomed him. Why? Pick up the rest of the verse. Having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. Now this takes us right back to the signs that Jesus performed in Jerusalem. Jesus was back with his people, but there was more respect and more honor with the people of Samaria than what Jesus saw among his own people. The Jews of Galilee, they welcomed him because of the miracles, the signs he did in Jerusalem. Jesus had ties to both Judea and Galilee. Born in Bethlehem of Judea, spent his childhood in Nazareth, Galilee. These are the people, the Hebrew people, who should have trusted his words without the need for a sign. Yet it was the Samaritans that knew Jesus is the Savior of the world. This contrast sets up our understanding of the rest of chapter 4. Jesus was welcomed into Galilee, not just because of his words, but because they had witnessed what he had done at the Passover feast in Jerusalem. So this backdrop, this understanding of the contrast is important as we move forward. The Jews in Galilee were focused on the signs, the miracles of Christ. Skip down to verse 48 for a second. Notice the rebuke of Jesus. The New King James reads, Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. This rebuke was not just addressed to the noblemen. This was addressed to all the people. This isn't to say that there wasn't faith in Galilee. But how much stronger is the faith in the person who trusts Christ based solely on his words instead of those who needed a sign? Notice this in verse 48. It wasn't that the signs could not or would not be the initial step that would motivate a person to respond to Christ with faith. The signs 
were intended to bring people to life. That's what John 20 teaches us. The signs had a purpose. They authenticated the message of Christ. This led to faith in the Messiah, which meant new life in Christ. But the contrast put forth here in John 4 is that the Jews needed a sign from the Messiah to be the stepping stone for faith, to be the stepping stone for a receptive heart to new life in Christ. The Samaritans in John 4 did not need a sign. Their faith, it rested solely on the words of Christ. Their faith was stronger than that of the Lord's own people. Jesus pressed on. Pick it up with verse 46. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. In the first part of verse 46, we see the reminder from the Apostle John that as the Lord headed to Cana of Galilee, this is where the Lord had turned the water into wine. Herod Antipas was the Roman official, the ruler over the land. The wording suggests that this nobleman served Herod. Technically, Herod was not a king, but he was considered by the people to be a king. In fact, even in Mark chapter 6, he was referred to as a king. And the word for nobleman used here by John, it literally means the king's man. News of the miracles of Christ had reached Herod's court. Luke 23 teaches us that even Herod himself had wanted to meet Jesus and witness his miracles. This was the same Herod that in just a few years would question Jesus and mock him and send him back to Pilate before Christ was to be crucified. So think of what this meant for the nobleman. He had influence. He had wealth. But there are certain things that money, that power, and influence cannot buy. And this was one of them. Money cannot buy the life of a loved one. The nobleman knew of Jesus. He knew of his ability to heal. And he knew that Jesus was back in Galilee. He desperately wanted Jesus to come and heal his son. You can sense the urgency in this text. His son was near death and he had heard that Jesus had the power to heal. And so he made the 20-mile trip just hoping for a miracle that could save his son. He implored Jesus to come. The wording describes repeated, please. Desperation drove him to Jesus. Notice the accuracy of the word of God. In verse 47, John tells us the nobleman wanted Jesus to come down referring to the fact that Capernaum and the Sea of Galilee are much lower than the hills of Cana. He begged Jesus to come down to Capernaum. It would have taken about six hours on foot, two hours if they traveled by chariot. But this nobleman made two mistakes. His understanding of Jesus was limited because even though he believed Jesus had the power to heal, he thought first that Jesus was going to have to physically be in Capernaum in order to heal his son. And second, he thought that once his son was dead, that it was over, meaning he didn't recognize that as the creator, Jesus has power over the grave. Now, verse 48 has a little bit of a rebuke. The signs were given to lead people to faith. The Jewish people stood rebuked. Remember the teaching. This was a rebuke to all of the people, not just the noblemen, for needing a sign before they would come to faith in the Messiah. 
There are many, many places in the word of God where Christ rebuked people for a lack of faith, but this isn't one of them. The issue was honor. The issue was respect for the Messiah. And the issue was that they needed a sign to believe the claims of the Son of God. The text raises an issue that is timeless. Are you looking for miracles in your life? Are you looking for more evidence in order to have faith in Christ? Or are the simple words of Jesus, are the promises of God enough? The text, it asks each of us how strong our faith is. I think this nobleman was probably Jewish because Jesus responded with, you people, including this man with the Jews. And given his position, and given that he was probably a Jew, this means he was also likely a member of the Sadducees. Don't miss the irony here. Because the Sadducees did not believe that God intervened in the affairs of man. Their line of thinking was that each person created their own fate and deserved whatever they got. And if you were sick, poor, or if you died, you were just getting what you had coming. To see such a man beg for a miracle must have been quite the sight. The description of these miracles as signs was to point the people to the understanding that the one before them was acting under the direct authority of God. The description of these miracles as wonders meant that they were designed to clearly demonstrate that something quite unique was taking place. But at the very heart of verse 48, is the understanding that this man did not yet have faith in Jesus. Faith to heal, yes, but not faith to save. Take a look at our next two verses. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. This was a father with a single focus, getting help for his son. The word of God paints the picture of a desperate father with a son already at the point of death before he had left Capernaum. The wording is heartbreaking, touching, and timeless. He didn't just say, come down before my child dies like our English translations record. He said, my little child, my dear one. The nobleman humbled himself before the Lord. He knew Christ could work a miracle. Go your way in verse 50. This was a command. Go your way. Go back to Capernaum. Put away your fear because your son lives. Put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Leaving Cana, leaving the location where Christ was at, was leaving behind the only chance for helping his son. But to stay behind would have shown a lack of faith. Jesus instructed him to trust his words and not just the miracles that he could see. The signs were given for a reason. But the words of Christ produce faith. This man took a step of trust, faith. He believed the word of the Lord without seeing the sign and went his way. This is the type of faith that honors Christ. Trust that Jesus will do what he has promised. He had no evidence before him, no proof that his son would be fine. But he had faith in the promise of Christ. Faith is confidence. Trust in what we do not see. Hebrews 11. Apply the teaching to your own life because it reminds us that the Lord does not have to be physically present to act on our behalf. Distance is no obstacle to him. It should steady our souls when we get frustrated because we are praying 
for a loved one, a lost person, or someone in desperate need for the Lord to intervene. And according to our timetable, it feels like the Lord just isn't moving fast enough. It is then that we remind ourselves of the words of Psalm 37 that teach us to rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. The Bible tells us that the man believed the word Jesus spoke to him. The pleading with Jesus stopped. The words of Christ had convinced him. He trusted Jesus that his son would not die, but he still hadn't come to faith in the Messiah for salvation because believing in the healing power of Jesus, it's not enough to save. Pick up the next two verses, starting in verse 51. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. The nobleman didn't make it home. He didn't make it back to Capernaum that night. And so what we see is that the next day he was going down the hills of Cana, down to the Sea of Galilee, almost 700 feet below sea level. His servants came to him. Can you picture the emotion as his servants approached? We're left to wonder if fear, if doubt crept in as he saw them approach. He didn't know if they were going to tell him if his son was dead or if he lived. The words came, your son lives, your son lives. Exactly what Jesus had promised. The fever was gone. I love the curiosity of the man. He compared notes with his servants. He just had to know what time, when did this happen? Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the same moment when Christ had proclaimed that his son lives. This was a direct intervention of God. If this is Hebrew time, the healing was at one in the afternoon. Or if the apostle John used Roman time, then it was seven in the evening. The wording given to us indicates that the father thought that his boy would start to get better slowly over time because the wording in verse 52, it literally reads, then he asked to them the hour when he began to get better, meaning he thought it would take some time. But the servants respond, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him, telling him it's over. He's better now. He was healed completely at once. This was no coincidence. This was God at work. It certainly does not appear that this father was in a hurry. He could have made the trip back home much quicker with a chariot. It was only two hours. Rich people like to ride. Fancy cars now, chariots then. The natural response would be to hurry, to get on a chariot, to rush home and check on his son. But his confidence in the one they call Jesus paid off. This confirmed to him that Jesus was the Messiah of Israel, and this led to faith. Pick up our closing verses, starting in verse 53. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. A greater miracle now took place. He had believed the Son of God had healed his son. Now he trusted the Son of God to heal his soul. He could trust his eternal life in the hands of the Savior, knowing that he could trust the word of the Lord. In other words, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. 
this man had confirmation that the miracle, the sign of healing his son, meant that Jesus had to be the Savior, the Messiah of Israel. The stepping stones of faith meant that at first he believed Jesus would heal his son if he could just get Jesus to Capernaum. Then he believed the promise of Jesus, that Jesus had healed his son from a distance. But now at this point, he believed he trusted in the person and salvation of Jesus Christ. This man, in turn, led his entire family to salvation in Christ Jesus. In the very last part of verse 53, and his whole household, this is tied to the verb believed. This has nothing to do with infant baptism for salvation. It means the entire family placed their trust in Christ. Everyone in that family had seen how sick this boy was, and everyone knew why he had gotten well. And with our closing verse, the Apostle John is simply explaining to us that he was not counting the signs that Jesus performed in Judea, only those done in Galilee. And of the signs that John recorded, this was the second one. But the signs Jesus performed still continue to give us the evidence that he is exactly who he claimed to be, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Quite a few years back, a missionary couple served in China before the communist takeover of 1949. They lived high up in the hills, and their only means of transportation was using a boat on a nearby river. And during certain times, when there was a lack of rain, the river would dry up, meaning that you could not go anywhere until the rains came again. One day, their son was sick with a high fever. It was serious, and they knew that if they were going to get medical help, they would have to travel by boat. But it was one of those times that the river was down to just a muddy stream. They prayed that it would rain again so that the river could rise again and their boat could travel. Even though they had prayed, the rain did not come. And just a few days later, their son died. And what made it even more difficult to bear was that shortly after his death, they walked outside and the rain was coming down. The very next day, the river had risen again and the boats were able to travel. These are the moments that can challenge your faith. Consider what your prayer life would have looked like if it had been your son or your daughter. Was God mocking them? I mean, why should they continue to believe when God seemed to be heartless, maybe even cruel? Why would he heal the nobleman's son with a fever, but not their son? This couple did continue to believe because they had learned that faith is not merely receiving from God what we ask, but it is the ability to accept whatever God gives us. The teaching is, learn to trust the Lord, trust his sovereign plan, allow him to operate and work no matter how he chooses. That is the type of faith that he is looking for. Faith, trust, not in what we think he can and should do for us, but faith in him, faith in the person of Jesus Christ, faith in God the Son, who is full of both grace and truth. We often get asked for more information on the end times. Well, the good news is that we wrote a book titled, What Lies Ahead, which is an overview from the Bible of the end times. 
You can find it on Amazon, and you can find all the different formats it is offered in on our website, returntotheword.com. That book again is What Lies Ahead. And if you've read it, leave us a review on Amazon. It helps us to tell others about this wonderful resource for studying about God's plan for the end times. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Return to the Word. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word 